911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to another episode of Tactical Living by Leo Warriors. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And I'm your co-host, Clint Walton. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a name that I literally want to put in my mouth, chew up, spit out, stomp on a million times, walk away from, and never hear again. And that's Christopher Dorner. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy today's content. If you as a listener remember anything about this, I'm going to take you through the journey of everything that I remember for anybody that might be listening who doesn't. Back in February of 2013, it was all over the news. There was a suspect that murdered the daughter of an ex-LA police department captain and her fiance. And in the beginning, nobody knew who it was. And then something crazy started to happen because another murder took place. There was a Riverside police officer named Michael Crane that was ambushed by another suspect. And quickly, officers and detectives were able to link the two murders together. And as though that wasn't enough, there was this pattern. It was almost like an arsonist starting fires all over the place. Because three additional police officers and personnel were shot and wounded. And in the midst of everything, Detective Jeremiah McKay was also shot. He exchanged gunfire when they finally realized who this person was. This person was a former LAPD police officer. He was dismissed back in 2008 for making false statements. So that means from 2008 until February of 2013, something started to manifest. And I say manifest because if you were to read this psycho's manifesto, you would see that he was very set in planning out what it was that he was going to do this day. Clint, I want you to take the listener through a little bit about what you remember when all of this first started, because this started as a murder and it turned into this nine day manhunt for this psycho. I remember, you know, first hearing about the murders that happened in Orange County and was like, well, that sucks. Yeah, you know, it's just an unfortunate incident. Didn't think anything of it. Then when we found out it was this guy, Christopher Dorner, and we started hearing more and more come up with him and his manifesto and, and, everything else that was related around him, it started to set off red flags. You know, after hearing about his manifesto, our agency, you know, we were tasked with writing two-man units and 
focusing patrols just because the heightened awareness and this guy started targeting actual officers for no apparent reason. I remember the night that Michael Crane was shot. He he was just getting off the freeway. I think they were getting ready. Him and his trainee were going to go grab some coffee. And this guy just pulled up next to him and just shot him. Him and his partner both. And unfortunately, Michael died in the incident. Later, finding out that he was just going on a rampage pretty much anywhere and everywhere he could and creating havoc. But he knew that law enforcement was hot on his tail. And that in turn turned to this outcry of people making reports and seeing his vehicle, seeing anything and everything matching that description. And that kind of turned into a whole different problem in itself. In any instance like this, it creates a whole different problem because then we have the public helping us. But a lot of the times it's false reports, but we don't know if it's a false report or not. We have to approach every situation as we're given. And I recall a newspaper delivery man was shot in a city in L.A. somewhere because he was driving the same vehicle and was driving fast towards officers and they believed he was possibly related or that was the shooter. And it's unfortunate that that man had to get injured off of it, but luckily he survived. A few days later, they actually got a tip and, and that's where the public's help helps us tremendously that he was seen up in the Big Bear area. And numerous agencies responded to that location. I know, I remember they were flying helicopters from LA Police Department, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, the San Bernardino Police Department went out there. And those were the main players involved in this instance. So after a, a brief pursuit following Christopher Dorner, they cornered him pretty much in a, a cabin. There was almost a peace of mind now that, okay, well, he's not in about, out and about creating havoc. They positively identified him as that. But the real task had just begun. But we don't have to be on edge anymore. So... When the SWAT teams started making their approach and everything that they do and could, he started shooting at officers, and that's when Detective Jeremiah McKay got shot and another officer from the Sheriff's Department. And unfortunately, that happened. But that's what most of us sign up for. Most of us want to go out there and protect communities from madmen just like him and you talk about this sense of awareness this this heightened and intense knowing that there's danger even more so than than what you normally face and i remember as the wife of a police officer also feeling that sense of awareness amplified I don't typically worry about you on a day-to-day. I'm very confident in your abilities. 
But this was different. This was different because we knew there was an enemy really just looking for any officer that he could. And I would imagine anyone that he did come across, he was targeting them directly. And he would have shot without any sense of reserve. That's what what the makeup was in his manifesto. That's what he was going for. And I know also the amount of overtime that you had to work was incredible. And that left me with a little bit more time with my own thoughts, I guess. And I just couldn't believe that this was happening. I couldn't believe that there was a a literal trail from one incident to another for somebody that nobody could find. And I think that by having so much insight like he did from being a former police officer, he knew a lot of the tactics. He thought he was one step ahead of you guys the entire time until he no longer was. And as cynical as this might sound, I also remember the upset from a lot of officers that this lunatic got to take his own life after what he took away from the life of so many other officers and their families. And it's just crazy to me. It's crazy because I wonder where it all started. You can read the manifesto. You can make up your own thoughts in your head. But something happened from 2008 to 2013 that I believe was really boiling for so many years and really being planned for so many years that there was no way to prepare. It's almost like going back to 9-11, back in 2001, and thinking about how methodical that was and how out of sight something like that was, especially for that time. Nobody would have ever thought that a former police officer would go on a manhunt for other police officers the way that this guy did. And Clint, can you talk a little bit about the way that the agencies were able to come together, at least in your mind, the way that they did to finally find this guy and then make sure that problem was solved? Tactically speaking, looking at every instance involved with it, it it was great, you know, LA, this was majorly LAPD's investigation. Um, Riverside PD got involved when their officers were shot and killed. And then the outlying agencies surrounding Riverside, such as San Bernardino Police Department, Rialto Police Department, the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, they were afforded the opportunities to assist in any way that they could to assist those other agencies. And that goes into respect of when they located him in Big Bear, the sheriff's department, pretty much they got the tip and they located him. They chased him to where he later killed himself. But at that point, you didn't have LA police department saying, no, we're taking over tactical control. You didn't have any of the other agencies saying we're better than you, that we have 
more manpower to contain this right now, they allowed the agency jurisdiction that was there to really dictate what occurred at that incident. And that's what was great is the response was from so many agencies and so many officers just responded and completely handled the situation to the best of their capabilities at that time. And there's, from my mindset, there was nothing negative that could be spun from it. Some people will say, well, the smoke grenades that they sent into the house set the house on fire, subsequently burned him, but he committed suicide before that even happened. And you can't necessarily control those instances. In my mind, it's for me personally, I think it would have been okay if he burned alive. I can't argue with that. And there was no way that he was going to allow himself, at least from what I've learned and read about him, to be shot by police officers. So, I mean, he he knew what he was doing. He knew that he wasn't going to hide in that cabin in Big Bear for long. And he knew he wasn't going to be taken alive. For sure. And that's the scariest thing that we ever face as police officers. I don't really know how to wrap today's episode up. Apart from really just wanting to give the due justice to the four people who lost their lives and the three other that were wounded during this instance. It's easy for people who aren't directly involved to allow time to go on. But in this episode, I just want to take a moment and just remember those that lost their lives. And as bitter as situations like this are, there's also a gift to be found. And the gift is the empowerment and the learning that takes place on the back end of this. And when you're able to find those pieces of light, even in the darkest times, then you're really able to enjoy your tactical living.